Death Wish is spending its second week at the number one spot at the box office, after gaining that spot 20 weeks after its initial release. Godfather 2 is released this day too, but it doesn't get to number one spot until the week following Christmas. Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin is delighting white people, delighting them so much it's gotten to the top of the box office charts. Knocking Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas from the number one spot. Kung Fu Fighting is a much better song, in my opinion. And George Harrison has released his fifth studio album, Dark Horse, in the UK. Today, we are going back to December 20th, 1974. Hey y'all, welcome to the Wayback Recap, a podcast that obsessively explores all things past from our favorites in TV and film to suck em boppers. The inflatable boxing gloves were just like air pillows that you put on your hands and you could punch your siblings with. They're great, the commercial's great, the jingle's great. However, if you were poor kids like my family, you just used what God gave you, and instead of having um, sock and boppers, you just had gift wrapping tubes that you beat the shit out of each other with. Yeah. That's wild. Y'all just beating each other up with that? We would do a lot of things. Like, we would have sword fights with those things. We would we would bend them and attack each other from around corners. Yeah. The, the wrapping paper tubes were a diverse toy that we celebrated. You know, I actually think that that's true. I think that is true. <laughs> and it was way safer than our other favorite game, which was hallway football, where we would take a two liter of soda, probably refill it with water. And then our very narrow hallway, we would make our little brother run back and forth without getting hit by the bottle. But my brother nice. and I would try to hit him with the bottle. Okay, yeah. This, so this <laughs> seems like a game where you and Josh decided to just throw things at JT and then mm -hmm. okay. and he loved he's like this is the best game he loved it <laughs> <laughs> yeah poor kid I'm Brandon and I'm Patricia and in this episode I decided that we're going to get a little bit creepy yes. during Christmas yes we're talking about the 1974 horror classic Black Christmas which was originally released in Canada on October 11th 1974 hmm. Black Christmas is a slasher film produced and directed by Bob Clark. Yes, Patricia? <laughs> I, um, nothing. I'm In Canada in October, you released Black Christmas. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, um, we also covered how, like, July had Hocus Pocus when it was released. <laughs> That's true. Had to make room for Nightmare Before Christmas. So, you know, Maybe Canada was like, let's get it out here before then. I don't Maybe know. Maybe it was like a tester. A... Maybe the studio was like, we're not sure if this movie's going to make any money. Let's run it in Canada, see how it does. You almost got it all right. That's oh pretty gosh. much what happened. Yeah. So this is a slasher film that's produced and directed by Bob Clark, written by A. Roy Moore. Um, I feel like this is a horror classic, but if you don't know, the premise is essentially um, pretty simple. The story follows a group of sorority sisters who receive threatening phone calls and are eventually stalked and murdered by a deranged serial killer, all during Christmas. Terrifying. Pretty, pretty I, messed up. Yes. So at this point, I would like to give a content warning. We're going to be talking about um, murder. We're going to be talking about obscene phone calls we're gonna be talking about rape 
there's going to be some things thrown in here. Um, so if that's not for you, check out a different episode. There's tons of them that are great. I recommend um, our Beetlejuice episode. Just kidding. That hasn't happened yet, but it will be. But choose any of the other uh, episodes and get back to us. Our writer, A. Roy Moore, pretty much got the idea for the script to Black Christmas from the urban legend, The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs. Do you know of this urban legend, Patricia, for those of us who are not familiar? I do. There's essentially, I think it starts with like crank phone calls, right? And it's like the when a stranger calls. This is kind of a well-worn trope. There's a person harassing a babysitter or someone alone with children. They call. She calls the cops. The cops tell her the phone. The calls are coming from inside the house. Oh, no. He's been there the whole time. Murder. Dead. Now you're dead. Dude. Well done. It's really funny you brought up when a stranger calls, but I'll get to that at a certain okay, point perfect. in here. But yeah, it's very much on point with that. Like, that's essentially what happens all the time in these, like, tropes, essentially, of someone being inside the house, an unidentified caller. And that's what happens in this movie. Um, we're getting these really obscene phone calls. So I think that I knew about this urban myth because I started babysitting pretty young. Like I was babysitting kids when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And so my mom would always give me like a really stern warning to not answer the phone. Like if the phone rings, just let it go to the the answering machine. Listen to the answering machine. If it's someone you should talk to, pick it up. Otherwise you don't need to answer the phone ever. Like Sue is not playing around with that shit. I don't blame her, but also hearing some creepy voicemail, like- Oh, I mean, that's scary too, for sure. I, Never happened to me, thank goodness. Not good. So I don't have my no. voicemail set up. Same. I babysat a lot too, and I'm so glad that that never actually occurred because that would be oh absolutely fucking terrifying. Because in some versions, not only are the children murdered, but the babysitters murdered too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like yeah. there's different versions. Yeah. Um. However, Black Christmas kind of switches it up a little bit. We have that kind of babysitter trope, but this time it's in a sorority house. And we're getting suspicious calls that happen to a lot of women as they're slowly murdered throughout the house. So one of the reasons I threw a content warning, because there actually are like real life murders that are involved with this in a sense. Um, Moore, the writer, has said that he sort of based some of this off of a string of murders that happened in Westmount area of Montreal. Um, The serial killer was named Killer Wayne Bowden. I didn't really look into the case, and I don't want to give too much credence into it, but, like, the beginning of his murder spree started when he bludgeoned his mother to death. So, yeah. So, it's kind of awful, and not many similarities were lifted from Bones' murders uh, into their story that we have today. It's a fictionalized movie, but there was some inspiration from that. So, it's just... Kind of like... Kind of like Scream and the Gainesville Ripper. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So it's like, oh, this is where we got the idea, but then the movie is something totally else. Yeah, absolutely. So our director slash producer, Bob Clark, who was attached, he's an American who found fame working in Canada. He actually had like a, yeah, he actually had a really interesting resume when I was looking him up, uh, as well as using like some of the source material he was a horror movie director for a bit. Like, he had already done, like, a couple of zombie movies. Okay. Um, 
one of which I've never seen, but I kind of want to see now. <laughs> Children shouldn't play with the dead things. And, um, oh. yeah, right. And then another one called Dead of Night. So those were movies that he directed prior to making this one, but he made quite a few other ones. He's a well-known director. Love it. He did some of my 80s favorite classics as Porky's. <laughs> my gosh, okay. Porky's 2. <laughs> yeah, the sequel. I think there might have been a Porky's 3, but Bob was not a part of that malarkey. Mm. He did direct another Christmas classic, a Christmas Story. Oh, shit, with Ralphie. Yeah, bro. Wow. You'll shoot, shoot your eye out. out. Damn. Yeah, this he guy's directed that. a Christmas legend. Yeah, he is. Christmas was his sweet spot. Because don't... <laughs> I mean, he had some flops. Don't get me wrong. In fact, two of his biggest flops, in my opinion, were Baby Geniuses. Oh. As well. Yeah, right? And Super Babies. Baby Geniuses, too. I just first of all, I'm impressed that he was able to split that into a franchise. Way to go, Bob. <laughs> um, like I'm only impressed I'm only impressed actually uh, can I embarrass myself and so I was watching this movie for the show and which I've already seen Black Christmas shockingly enough <laughs> and I was like oh Bob Clark I was like wait Bob Clark Bob Clark like American Bandstand <laughs> like New Year's Eve no he wasn't a director and I was like oh you just had a full stroke that is Dick Clark. <laughs> Patricia, are you okay? No more coffee today. You have to drink some water. <laughs> Bob Clark. <laughs> Idiot. So in winter of 1973, the film was shot. It's also set in Toronto as well. Um, with an estimated budget of about 62... Excuse me. With an estimated budget of $620,000. It was distributed by Warner Brothers in North America. And... Um, What's wild is in Canada, this movie was like a pretty decent success. In fact, it was the third most highest grossing movie of the year in Canada. Hey, nice. Hell yeah. Yeah, right, dude? But not so much in America. Like, um, it didn't happen for it. I don't, I don't understand why. The film was released closer to Christmas. Like, you said that you felt yeah. like October was a weird release date. <laughs> but, like, in Christmas, when it was released... We saw very little, like, um, success for it. There may have been a reason for that, too, though. Um, when they released the movie in December here in North America, the studio completely changed the name of the movie. Instead of Black Christmas, what it was known as in Canada, it was released as Silent Night, Evil Night. That's dumb. That is stupid yeah. dumb. Yeah, not to be confused with such other films as uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, or Silent Night, Bloody Night. Like, there's no. a lot of movies like this, so I don't understand. I mean, maybe this it's was... It's a boot. It's a Black boot. Christmas is fucking metal as shit. Like, Black Christmas? Come on. That's a great Absolutely. name. And that's why I think um, Moore chose that title, Black Christmas, because originally it was going to be called The Babysitter when they were first working nah, it. Nah, 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 but nah, nah. he wanted it to be Black Christmas because it subverted, like, the classic song White exactly. Christmas. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a pun on just like horrible dark shit happening right. on like what is supposed to be one of the most like joyous of holidays and things like that. Exactly. Huge Which is why agree. I love the subgenre of Christmas horror movies. Yeah, me too. One of the main reasons why the studio did not want to go with its original title of Black Christmas, even though it was super fucking dope, 
is because they were afraid that audiences were going to confuse it with a black exploitation film. Well, that's kind of a fair <laughs> worry. Well, and you get no, but you're promising two different things. Fair point is is my point. There is like a black exploitation and Black Christmas. The film we're talking about today are not the same. There's not a single black person in Black Christmas. I do think it's possible we have a bit of an audience in Canada. So if you're a listener from Canada, hi, hello. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and we have a lot of content about Canadian. Like, we I do. I have no idea We've that Canada has Canada such a stronghold. <laughs> yeah. All the Nickelodeon shows, all the... Goosebumps. Yeah, dude. And the hypothetical one-day topic of uh, Ready or Not. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely doing one that Ready or Not, so I don't know why you're playing with me. So eventually they did change the name back to Black Christmas after a few years down the line. But for the most part, like, um, it received mixed reviews when it came out in America. Hmm. Yeah. That is all completely changed. Like now. Yeah. People have gone back and have like, about people, I mean, fans of horror movies, scholars, historians, you know, very important people, people very. much smarter than myself, have gone back and retroactively like claim this is one of the greatest horror movies of all time, as well as introducing what we now know as the slasher genre in horror films. This was the first one in a lot of people's eyes compared to both Halloween and, as you said, When a Stranger Calls, which actually came out Five years after this, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, this is 74. I can't remember if Halloween 77 or 78, but either way, this is still way before then. And that might be why it wasn't a huge draw at the box office. Like, maybe people just, like, weren't ready for it yet, or the right people couldn't get to it yet. Never mind going up against Godfather 2, which is, like, maybe the most successful sequel of all time. Like, that's a hard time to come out. A hundred percent. And, like, and I do think that, like... Obviously, we're talking about today, but it became a cult favorite, and For people sure. really did like go back and just see how many different layers um, there are to this movie. There, like, it's a truly terrifying movie. Like, there's a lot of scenes where I was watching, I was like, "Ew, I'm creeped out." Like, if I saw this in real life, I'd be creeped the fuck out. Super you know what creepy. I mean? Super creepy. I watched this movie um, on TV when I was a teenager. I think it was featured on like the 100 scariest moments of cinema or something, which I was obsessed with. And so it was on like AMC one Christmas. And so I watched it. And remember, I'm a scaredy cat crybaby. What I really liked about it was that it was scary, but it wasn't like it wasn't overwhelmingly scary. Like I watched this movie. I loved I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I love that you love this movie because I, I didn't really know you had already seen it. I, I love no this idea. movie. Okay, so full disclosure, I saw the 2006 remake before nice. I saw this movie. Okay. And then I went back to watch that movie and really enjoyed the original before I did this one. Like, I had already knew of Black Christmas, the old movie, sure. but I, I have a more emotional tie to the 2006 movie because I saw the movie with my cousin in Cute. Iowa, of all places. Cute. Yeah. I haven't seen the 2006 version. I'm going to watch it, but I haven't seen you it You should. Yet. It's not great, but it was... We <laughs> all have, like, an inside joke about, like, a lot of the shit that happened in that movie because Cute. it was so terrible. But great. <laughs> is Elijah Dushku in it? It feels like an Elijah Dushku no, movie Michelle, at all. No, Michelle Trachtenberg is, though, If speaking of oh. Buffy Blum. Actually, 
You should watch it because there's a lot of women in there who are like horror movie icons, in my opinion, or just horror icons, I should say. Michelle Trachtenberg's in it. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's been in a lot of horror stuff. Oh, nice. I know Mary Elizabeth, yeah. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world for some people. Oh, yeah, she was in that. Oh, my God. I always forget she's in that. She's had a diverse career. She's, She's out here killing it. She was in something I really liked recently, but I can't remember it now, like an asshole. Ooh, Katie Cassidy is in there. Um, she's she plays the lead in it. She's been in a lot of horror movies as well. Um, cool. Modern horror and stars. Lacey Chabert's in this. Um, <laughs> not Lacey. Yeah, I dude. Love it. I mean, uh, Crystal Lowe, and then also one of the castmates in this movie's in the movie. Andrea Martin, who I absolutely love. She's in this as well. Nice. Who plays Mrs. Mack in the 2006 version? Andrea Martin. Oh, nice. Love it. Yeah. She, I should have known that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I think she's the only character that still has the same name, but all the other characters have different names in the sequel. Cute. Cute. Um, I also, before we get too far, sorry, that was Bernadette jumping from the fucking ceiling. Um, I want to say that this movie also really influenced what I think sororities are like. And this is like, this is my only example, and it's the only like definition of a sorority I'll accept. Like all sororities <laughs> okay. accept a sorority. <laughs> um, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I think that you would be a really good house mother. Like I, I don't know amazing. why I am Mrs. Mac. It's 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 shocking. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, that's <laughs> no, no. I, was... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's because I'm the child. Uh, I'm cool. Okay, well, <laughs> so we already know what's fans. coming. So we're huge fans of this movie. Um, lots of people have been inspired and love this movie as well. One of those people was John Carpenter. Oh, John no. Carpenter was a fan of this movie. Yeah, dude. He worked on his very first film with um, Bob Clark, I believe. Ooh. And and John Carpenter like walked up to Bob Clark and was like, hey, I'm a huge fan of yours. I love Black Christmas. Are you like thinking about doing like a sequel or anything like that? Yay. Yeah, and Bob Clark was like, sort of over horror movies at this time. Sure. Remember he did like um, the zombie movies, this one, and he was kind of trying to do other stuff. And he's like, no, I don't want to do horror anymore. But if I did do a sequel, my idea would essentially have been uh, the killer escaping the mental institution and going back home and calling it Halloween. Oh shit. Yeah. Cool. cool. So Bob Clark tells this story and may or may not have like inspired John Carpenter to write. Halloween. Now, Bob Clark is in good spirits about it. He doesn't claim that John Carpenter like stole no, his idea and is sure, bitter sure, or sure. upset about it. Because he says essentially, like, I may have came up with this idea, but like John Carpenter like really went in and made Halloween yeah. what Halloween is. Like I said, I love the genre of horror movies that is like Christmas related, but I also find myself to, to like horror movies that are based on holidays in general. And there's a lot Me more too. than you think they are. Halloween, April Fool's Day. My Bloody Valentine, Silent Night, Deadly Night, like I said, we've covered Night of the Demons, New Year's Evil, Thanksgiving, I think Leprechaun, we covered- I'm 100% that- calling Leprechaun, yeah, 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 100 million percent. Mother's Day, there's one called Easter Casket that I'm interested in, I've never heard of that, but I think that's a clever pun, but yeah, it's treat. inspired, go ahead. Trick or treat? Trick or treat, yeah, dude, oh my god. Which, by I the way, Brandon- 
I love Trick or Treat too. Did you know Trick or Treat was a Tales from the Crypt comic? Those are all Tales from the Crypt stories. Really? Yeah, I just found that out this year. Interesting. So, so I love makeup, listeners. If you don't know, now you know. Send me your favorite makeup. Um, the, some brand came out with a collaboration with Trick or Treat this year. So there was like Trick or Treat themed makeup items. And all of the covers are the Tales from the Crypt comics. Wow. That's really Super cool. Super cool. Super cool. That is really cool. It makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's compare a little bit about Halloween, John Carpenter's version, and Black Christmas. If yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, because there yeah. are some similarities to it. Like, I do think that obviously Black Christmas, John Carpenter being a fan, was inspired by the movie yeah. to make his own. Yeah. Um, both Black Christmas and Halloween, they don't really show a lot of violence necessarily. Sure. Like, you see the aftermath more so than you do, like, the act and, like, brutality. Uh, there is the most terrible scene of Claire getting murdered in Black Christmas. Spoiler to f- folks who haven't yeah. seen it yet. It's awful. I don't like that one. I think something that struck me while we were watching this is that the killer, like if we're comparing Michael Myers to the unnamed killer in Black Christmas, the killer in Black Christmas displays his victims. Yeah. Really, Michael only displayed Bob. Like that, well, no, and then the one with the tombstone. So I guess there are some similarities there. I don't know. I feel like um, Michael Myers is a process killer, and I feel like the killer from Black Christmas is a uh, product killer. Man, you're brilliant. Are you? <laughs> are you Detective Scully from the? <laughs> stop it! Stop making fun of me right now. Um. And it's Dr. Scully, right? Like, put some respect on her name. Um, Both movies kind of have, like, that point of view from the killer, like, Uh watching them, you know? I mean, there's that. Um, One thing that I really, really enjoy about Black Christmas and Halloween, but I feel like the sound is really utilized here. Like Really well utilized. The, like... The sounds, specifically on the phones, are really fucking creepy, but there are loud noises that startle the shit out of me. There's not a lot of jump scares, but there are a lot of just, like... I don't know. The dude on the phone is creepy as fuck. Let's... Hands down, that's it. Terrifying. Well, he uses, like, all these different voices, which really scares me. We've talked about that before. Um, But then, coming back to your point about sound, is it's a multi-level house, so they really use the footsteps in the home really scary. Like... We can be looking at an empty room, but we'll hear the footsteps of the killer upstairs or downstairs, and it's so scary. Like, it's really well done. Yeah. And a lot of the camera work, too, is really beautiful. Yeah. Like, you just, like, it's a, the cinematography on this movie is absolutely gorgeous. It's one of my favorite things about this horror movie. Um, well, it's great because it's Christmas time. So there's Christmas decorations everywhere. So there's very few parts of this movie, of this movie that are dark. Almost everything is well lit. Like, there's Christmas lights, there's candles. Like, this movie is very rarely dark because it's Christmas. So there's lights up everywhere, which gives it an even more eerie feeling to me. Yeah, the Christmas lights. I fucking love it. I'm going to start... I think the reason I'm, like, turning on Christmas... Not turning on, but, like, (laughs) coming around on Christmas. Like, before, I was just like, eh, whatever. Is because it is kind of creepy. Like, Christmas is, like, a weird... And I kind of like that vibe for Christmas. My no, creepy Christmas house. <laughs> creepy, creepy Christmas. So, speaking of the voice, um, 
actually a couple people played the voice of our unnamed killer, who I'm going to call Billy. Because okay, cool. I, I feel like he's Billy. I'll explain a lot why when we talk about it. Sure. Um, but one of the uncredited actors um, who did the voice mostly was like Nick Mancuso. He was hired, um, as well as like several other actors, to do kind of like the different personalities and things like that. Bob Clark even did some of the voices. And cool. Like, yeah, the voices are creepy because I can't tell if there's multiple people doing it right. or one. And I don't know which one's creepier. Do you know what I mean? Like, if there's multiple people doing this voice thing on me, calling me when I'm no. by myself, or if it's no. one person specifically, like, actually, I think it's one person that's scarier because it sounds like multiple people. It's the multiple people, and I think at one point it becomes like a child's voice, and that creeps yeah. me out the most. That's my that's my line. Like, no, I'm done. Well, Nick Mancuso um, went to great lengths to actually make that that creepy. I think one of the things he did to like get different voices was he's like hung upside down. I think Ooh, okay. to get, like yeah, and to like. I think he was compressing his thorax or something like that to make like really demented, gross demon noises and shit like that. Cause Billy on the phone is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Is absolutely terrifying. Really scary. And I think that's what makes the movie the scariest for me, in my opinion. Yes, totally agree. Some other people to make note of who are in our cast, since we were talking about the voices who play a huge role. Olivia Hussey is our lead Jess. Olivia Hussey is known for her role in Romeo and Juliet. She was in oh, like... Oh, that's right. Yeah. I knew she I was, knew her from somewhere. She's a beautiful woman. Just beautiful. beautiful. Really beautiful. She's from Buenos Aires, Argentina. No shit. Good for her. Yeah. Wow. But it says she's an English film stage actress. So maybe cool. she was born in Buenos Aires and is English. Sure. Uh, we don't have enough time to look back on that. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> to confirm. Um... <laughs> Fun fact about Olivia Hussey. <laughs> That's actually her name. Clark initially contacted Hussey to play Jess. Um, like I said, she was really known for being the role of Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, which came out in 1968. Um, Hussey apparently told one of the producers that a psychic reading influenced her decision to take this particular job. Oh. She said that a psychic had told her that she would be in a Canadian movie that would make a lot of money. Wow. Good psychic. Yeah. Um, other actors, Keir Dulay. Other actors involved are Keir Dulay. Um, he plays Peter, Jess's boyfriend. He was in 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's why I recognize him from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margot Kidder, uh, fucking Lois Lane. She Beautiful. plays my favorite character, Barb. Actually, <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Mack and Barb are my two favorite characters. Same. I'm here um, for the drunk ones. <laughs> right? It's Christmas. <laughs> you better be drunk. John Saxon plays Lieutenant Fuller. Fun fact about John Saxon, he has a really long history and career of playing cops in movies and stuff oh, like that. Nice. Yeah, he looks like him. One of my favorite roles that he played a cop is A Nightmare on Elm Street. He played Nancy's dad. Oh my gosh, that's right. Which subsequently he was in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. But that yeah, your I was watching this the entire time. I was like, where do I know this man from? <laughs> 
Andy is convinced that he's a distant relative to Zach Efron. <laughs> I don't. So I like this theory and would be curious in more evidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, Patricia's favorite character, uh, Marion Waldman, plays Mrs. Mack. Fun fact about Mrs. Mack, Patricia, mm-hmm. to tie it all up to Wayback Recap, because it's always a weird coincidence. Actress Betty Davis was originally offered that role. Stop it. Yeah. Because you know by 74, Betty was at the end of her fucking rope and was taking whatever jobs anyone wanted to give her. I wonder if she just didn't want to go to Canada. That's funny. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, the role was actually based on Bob Clark's aunts, he said. Like this alcoholic woman. He was like, oh yeah, I based them off my aunts. Loosely, loosely. But she is, it. she is my favorite character because this bitch is me and I am this yeah. bitch because Mrs. Mac is just putting on a front and living a good life. The way I most like Mrs. Mac is the second she has like really normal and inter- really average interactions with people and then she's alone and she talks to herself about it. She's like, look at that motherfucker didn't say shit to me. She didn't say shit to me. And that is 100% me. <laughs> Close the door. Get in my face again, motherfucker. <laughs> I love it. Um, and Andrea Martin, she plays Phil, another character. And Andrea Martin, I feel like we should give her some flowers. I don't know if she. I hope she hasn't done anything bad, but I don't think she has. But she's was known for Wag the Dog, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, My Big yeah. Fat Greek Wedding Two. Um, she plays the aunt, right? The all the glam. So. Yeah. yeah, and she voices, an, or she did animated voices in Anastasia, the Rugrats movie, Jimmy, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. Like, Miss Martin, she's working. And she's, um, by the way, she's mess with me. You, might, you might remember Andrea Martin from our Plane Strings and Automobiles episode because she was also part of SCTV. Yes, yes, she is. I totally forgot about that. Good for that. you, Thank Andrea you. Martin. Good for you, hon. And there's other people who play roles in here, but we're just gonna not too come many. To them. Like one thing, one thing that I think was so smart about this movie, and it ties into Halloween, is you have a small cast, one location, one thing. Like it's gonna be cheap to shoot. Like this is smart filmmaking. Smart, like small cast, keep it tight, all in one setting. Smart, smart, smart. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. Like, it really well done, and people love this movie. I'm one of those people. Me too. With that being said, let's watch some TV after this commercial break. We open on a decorated sorority house with the view of an unseen, disoriented man as he climbs up an attic into that sorority house as a young woman walks in. I would also like to point out there's a creepy version of Silent Night being sung while this is all going on and the dude's breathing and the dude is breathing really heavily and it's just beyond creepy and scary. So this this is setting us up for what this movie is. I think this is one of the scariest scenes in the movie. I agree. I agree. Something we have to remember also, this is 1974. So the Christmas music that's playing is not Mariah Carey. 
It is not <laughs> Martina McBride singing Joy to the World. This is like kids' choirs singing Christmas church hymns. Like, it's Silent Night. It's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Like, it's none of the fun Christmas songs, and it's all of, like, the serious Christmas songs. It's not fun, is what I'm trying to say. It feels very serious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as this creep of a human, uh, we guess he's a human, sneaks into the sorority house and goes into the attic, the actual people who live there are celebrating with a Christmas party. We meet one of the girls, Jess. She's our main lead, played by Olivia Hussey. Uh, she answers the phone. I would also like to point out, for those of us who have... Well, no, if you're listening to the show, you've definitely seen like a phone, like... A, <laughs> I was, about to say a, I was about to say a rotisserie phone. That is not ah. what I meant to say. Uh, a rotary phone. But I feel like the rotary phones are ten times scarier than like a cell phone or anything else. Like I don't want to get a phone call on a rotary phone because they are so loud and aggressive. And shrill. Like the yeah. the the old phone rings were so shocking. And it's a total mystery. Like we're so spoiled with our smartphones. We're like my phone will even tell me like if it's a bill collector they're yeah. like oh warning this is capital one are you sure you want to answer this <laughs> like yeah dude it's just we've gotten so we've gotten so uh used to our smartphones the idea of the unknown of the house phone ringing in the dead at night where i'm all alone don't like it yeah um apparently this happens a lot like this sorority house gets these obscene phone calls because jess calls everyone over is like hey it's him again um she calls them all into the room and they listen as like the caller is screaming he's cursing um he's saying things like he wants to eat their pink cunts um these are all really disturbing things like if this phone call is disturbing me and i was just like this is fucked up yeah, like and it's like it's real aggressive, and we're like a couple minutes into the film, and he's talking about piggy cunts and stuff. Like it is rough. I mean, you really it you really feel how uncomfortable yeah. it is for the girls in the room. Yeah. Like it's wild that they all have experienced this or heard this, and they're just yeah, it's creepy. I didn't like the feeling of it. I was like, uh, quit playing on my goddamn phone. <laughs> And a lot of the girls are scared. Like, they all yeah. come gather around, and some of them are kind of, like, laughing, but a lot of them are scared. Like, they don't... This is not fun. No. Um, Barb, she kind of walks up and snatches <laughs> the phone Barb. from Jess. Bad <laughs> bitch Barb snatches <laughs> the phone from Jessica, and she's like, yo, cut this shit out. This is gross. This is weird. And he's still, like, saying really fucked up things to her. And... Barb's like throwing it back at him. She's giving him back yeah. some of that stuff. You know what I mean? Coming back with the foul mouth cussing, you know, rooting, tooting, cussing like Yosemite <laughs> Sam. No, I'm just kidding. Um, when she finally, I guess, gets to the collar, like he point blank tells her, I'm going to kill you. That freaks Barb out. That freaks me out. Like, yikes. See, like, he says, it's like he's he's screaming and he's yelling and he's using weird voices and then very calmly goes, I'm going to kill you tonight. And then he hangs up the phone. That's scary. Like, that would put me out. I'd be like, I need to go somewhere else. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. I'm like, girls, we need to get 
Everybody, this is no joke. <laughs> code He's red. He's got the code nicest red. parents. Let's all go to the parents' house and we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, Barb doesn't let the other girls know how that shakes her up because, I mean, she is obviously scared like any human being would be uh-huh. if they got that. Um, and she kind of laughs it off. But Claire Harrison, who I think is probably like a freshman, I don't know, for some reason, she just seems young. She seems like, younger than everybody else, for sure. Yeah. She seems so nice, and I feel bad for Claire. Yeah, me too. For lots of reasons. This is awful. They do Claire and Claire's daddy dirty throughout this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Like, She's like, apparently there's been like a serial rapist on the loose, and Claire's like, you don't know what the fuck you did. Like, You shouldn't do shit like that. Which I kind of agree with Claire, in a way. Like, I don't know. Antag- antagonizing a person who is already in a precarious position is not always a great idea. Like, maybe just hang yeah. up the phone. Like, just hang up the phone. So Claire and Barb argue, but Claire heads up to her room to pack up um, for a Christmas break when she's looking for the house cat, Claude, <laughs> um, <laughs> which leads her into her closet where she sees oh freaking I'm in a closet right now recording I'm terrified now that I say this but you don't have any of any of those plastic dry cleaning bags you'll no, be fine I don't. Um, leads her into her closet where we get the POV of inside the plastic dry cleaning bags watching as Claire walks in from the killer's point of view when he attacks her and smothers her with one of those plastic dry cleaning bags and that's how we see Claire for the rest of the fucking movie and we keep seeing Claire like Claire She's this is the last time we see her. She's on display the whole movie with the with the plastic over her face, with like a expression of complete terror. Like it's so off putting. Oh, makes the bite gives me goosebumps. Yeah, poor Claire. Justice for Claire. Justice for Claire. The worst part about this though is like while she's doing this, all her friends are downstairs, but yeah, they can't hear her because they're having a fucking party. Oh. While this scene is also terrifying, like all the different viewpoints of how Claire is like struggling for her life and her friends are having a good time. They're giving Mrs. Uh, Mac a nightgown for Christmas, making her put it on and stuff like that. Yeah. And then Claire's getting dragged off into the attic and all we see is like the aftermath of that. You know what I mean? Uh While everyone's cheering and having a good fucking time. It is seriously scary very scary and like this is right away like i don't know if i if i hit that point home hard enough earlier this movie gets into the action right away like claire is dead like 10 minutes into the movie yeah um this is where i become a fan of mrs mac mrs mac after the girls are like cheering her on with wearing the uh, the nightgown that they got her. She was like, you girls are so kind to me. Thank you. She's just being so grateful to the girls. Sneaks off um, where she finds her secret booze that she's hidden. Um, I believe it's straight sherry inside it's of a sherry. book on a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mrs. Mac swigs it down and has some choice words. She does not like her <laughs> gown. Like, Mrs. Mac is <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, Mrs. Mac loves sherry. It's always the same sherry that she 
consumes through the whole movie. I just want everyone to know that my mom also loves sherry. She likes cream sherry better, but she likes sherry too. I've never uh, had sherry. It's decent. It's a dessert wine. Um, it okay. She same brand because there's a point in the movie where she takes the back off a toilet and pulls out her secret oh, brandy in that. Yeah, is, she does. Or sherry. It's not yeah, the same bottle, does. is it? No, these are all different bottles. I love that she's hiding bottles of booze around the house. Oh, she has like house. 10 bottles around the house. Mrs. Mac just wants to have a good time, and I can't blame her. Mrs. Mac, you have a drinking problem. This is a problem. Don't we all? My favorite part of that, though, is that she uses the liquor as mouthwash, the toilet <laughs> liquor. <laughs> like, maybe that's not good enough to use as like, her mouth while she's away from the girls, which is wild to me. Like, ma'am, your breath's got to smell like sherry. Number one. Number two, she took it out of the toilet tower and then put her mouth on it. She drank straight from that bottle. So she got toilet water in her mouth. <laughs> <That's disgusting. laughs> Mrs. Mac is wild. Like, you are drunk, ma'am. <laughs> I guess everyone's turning in for the night and Jess checks in on Claire um, but doesn't get an answer, but we see Claire upstairs in a rocking fucking chair dead and terrifyingly staring out the window when we get what I think is one of the worst sounds I've ever heard that runs a chill up my spine that weird nursery rhyme that Billy is singing yeah I don't like it stop it I don't either I don't like it I don't like it I don't like it anytime Billy talks in this movie like not even on the phone like anytime we get <laughs> we get stuff from billy i don't like it i don't like it the following morning we have mr harrison claire's dad again claire is i don't want to say the first victim of billy but the first one in the sorority house who's been smothered with the plastic from the dry cleaning is waiting for his daughter in the spot that they said they would meet up Mr. Harrison, again, where they're doing him dirty, gets pummeled in the face with a fucking snowball <laughs> by sure some does. kid. By jerk kids. Jerk kids, man. Uh, breaks my heart. He talks to the guy who I guess was like the guardian of the kid. I don't know who the fuck he was. He was kind of rude at first. <laughs> he was um, rude. <laughs> right? Bitch, your kid hit me. I will cause a scene. Um, I see where he gets it, sir. But <laughs> Mr. Harrison's a console. He like gently asked this dude if he knew who Claire Harrison was, his daughter. Randomly, this guy did, or maybe he does what I do and just pretends I know somebody <laughs> before, you know? I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I don't feel like yeah, having yeah, to yeah. explain to him. Yeah, 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 I know. What's up? Yeah. Um. Anyways, he gives him directions to Claire's sorority house, and he heads that way to go check on his daughter. I do feel like even in this first conversation with Mr. Harrison and that random adult or student, I don't know, um, the student's like, oh, yeah, I think she's a whatever uh, sorority sister. And Mr. Harrison gives like a look. He's like, yeah, I know. Like he's I feel like Mr. Harrison is not into the sorority and he is not into Claire being involved in the sorority. Like he already has feelings, I feel like, when he gets there. Absolutely. I mean, and he has feelings when he gets to the actual sorority building, because one, Mrs. McHenry doesn't know Claire's missing. But then, like, when he she lets him in her room, she has, like, all these posters. They're, I, She's I guess a college Mr. McHen- student. She's a college yeah. student. <laughs> Mr. Harrison 
Yeah, like clearing her up. Yeah, come on, man. Meanwhile, at the same time, uh, Jess is meeting her boyfriend, Peter, who is a douche and a music hate major. Peter. I hate Peter. Yeah, Peter I hate Peter. Sucks Peter sucks. Hard. Peter sucks. Yeah. Jess pulls Peter aside and is like, hey, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have an abortion. Smart to girl. cut. I mean, yeah. And Peter does not like this. He is mad by this. He pretty much threatens Jess and is like, you can't make that decision because you didn't ask me. Peter didn't come to the holiday party last night at the sorority. Even though Jess invited him, he never showed up. So tonight, or today, she has come to his rehearsal. He's rehearsing for his big piano recital. He's a pianist. He's a musician. It's a whole thing. She says, Peter, I'm having a baby, and I don't want to have it. I Like, she's really good about communicating her feelings. 100%. And telling him what she wants. She's like, I don't want this. I am getting an abortion. Peter goes all white man. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's my baby. You can't make that decision about my baby. And Jess, you know this is an important night for me. Why would you bring this up right before my recital? You're selfish. Peter, if you don't get fucked right now out of my face, I will light your piano on fire. Dude, thank you. Yeah, I 100% agree on that. Like, Peter (laughs) is a douche nozzle. Like, dude, chill the fuck out. Calm down. We've all met a Peter. So back at the sorority house, Mr. Harrison is accompanied by Barb and some of the other girls, um, specifically Phil. Um, They go to report that Claire is missing. While Mr. Harrison is on the phone, we get this wonderful shot of Barb with some kid going full Montana from real world Boston and giving him a drink. As Mr. Harrison's on the phone with his wife, like, updating her, I laughed. I was like, girl, yeah, I was like, what are you doing? Stop giving that child champagne. (laughs) Jess also updates Claire's boyfriend, Chris, about what's going on and her disappearance. We then also learn at the same time that a local high school girl is missing named Janice. Um... She vanished while walking home from school. No one knows what's happened to her. And so this is putting everybody on high alert. Um, we're in the house still. Everybody's drinking. Well, mostly Barb's drinking. <laughs> um, Barb's drinking a lot. She's drinking enough for everybody. And she's a mess. And Mr. Harrison's in there as well. Chris, Jess, Phyllis. Barb eventually says a lot of shit that's fucked up. And they put Barb to bed, rightfully so. After she's like... Fuck Mr. Harrison. I don't care about his daughter. Why ain't y'all talking shit? Like, why Why are you always icing me out? I'm like, damn, Barb, this ain't the time. You really got to read a room. Yeah, it's a bad time, Barb. Um, so they put her to bed. And everyone else, Mr. Harrison, Chris, Jess, and Phyllis, they go to the park um, to search for both Claire and Janice, where she disappeared. They're looking for signs of Claire. And back at the house, Mrs. Mack is planning to leave for her sister's house. She's packing up. Um, she's pretty wasted by this point. I mean, she's had a lot of sherry. Yeah, yeah. And she hears her cat Claude, her fucking cat Claude. Throughout this movie, she's been looking for Claude, you know? 
Um, mm-hmm. I get it though. Like if I lost my cat and I heard it, and I was like, oh my god. Meanwhile, she also has a cab just waiting on her as she's just <laughs> doing whatever the fuck she wants to do. She's getting Isn't ready. That... She's packing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't call a cab until you're ready, girl. Why you do this? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good bit of advice. Um, so as she's lured up to the attic, who she thinks is Claude. Claude is actually in the attic. Um, she looks around, pops her head up there, and she discovers Claire's murdered body sitting in a rocking chair by the window which terrifies her to death and standing behind her is our killer Billy with a hook on a rope a pulley I think that's what it's called Mm -hmm. I don't know Um, and he launches it towards Mrs. Mack's face impaling her through her neck killing her instantly and then we get a shot from below as she's yanked up into the attic and makes horrible wailing noises and we can only imagine what she went through. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. In the park, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know how you look at it, they discover Janice's disfigured body. Um, some stranger finds her. I don't know who she's supposed to be in the movie, but she screams, and then Jess comes running, and then poor Janice's mom comes running after. We never actually see what happens to the young girl, but we can only imagine because everybody reacts in like very horribly to the situation. So we can only imagine what actually happened to Janice. This is good filmmaking and good acting from the actors because like we know something terrible happened to Janice and we know that just based off the reaction of the actors in the scene. It was really well done. It's a really good scene. Yeah, I agree. That's another one of these classic scenes. Um, Jess heads back home while everyone else continues to look for Claire. Um, And then she answers another obscene phone call. And at this point, I think she's had enough just after, like, witnessing (laughs) what she just witnessed. So she decides to report um, a final police report. And as she's doing so, Peter comes down the stairs surprising her who apparently took a nap in her room while he was waiting on her. He was annoyed that he had to wait outside. So I guess he broke in. I don't know. She informs him the that the front door were... is just unlocked. Oh, God. So God, he just came on. in. Oh, my God. Don't like it. Oh, my God. Um, Just kind of fills him in what's been going on. And he's there to try to marry her, essentially. He's like, hey, I've been thinking about it. I'm going to quit school. I've always hated school. <laughs> well, spoiler alert, he bombed his recital. Ah, so, yes. So uh, it was terrible. Worst playing I've ever seen. So now he's like, I'm going to quit. And or he was kicked out, which is my theory, because he's a shitty piano player. And they're like, you're not good. This is it. Goodbye. So <laughs> now he's like, okay, here's a second idea. I'll marry Jess. Needless to say, she turned Peter down, and he didn't take it well. Um, he left in a tizzy as... Lieutenant Full, as Lieutenant Fuller, as well as the other cops, show up to bug the telephone. Um, there's a scene in the police station where they're riffing with um, one of the other detectives, I guess, who is a loser. <laughs> they Sergeant Nash, who I hate. Fuck you, yeah, Sergeant, Sergeant Nash. Na- yeah, super annoying, super annoying. I hate Sergeant but he Nash. wasn't like taking the thing seriously. 
Uh, but once Lieutenant Fuller showed up, he was like, yo, dude, people have been murdered. A girl's missing. Why wouldn't you, like, take this seriously? Uh, so they head over, put that bug in the phone. Um, people head out. And then a group of choir children arrive at the house's stoop to sing Christmas carols. Bad timing, guys. Bad time. <laughs> yeah. This distracts Jess. Um, after she's checked on Barbara, who kind of was having, like, an asthma attack, I feel like, right? Yeah. Needed her inhaler. Yeah, she needed an inhaler, so she's kind of, like, got her calmed down, helped her back to sleep, and then she went back downstairs to the Christmas carolers. Um, that's when the killer comes into Barb's room and uses one of her beautiful glass figurines, a unicorn, to murder her. Um, while the carolers are downstairs, Jess can't hear, and you're getting this juxtaposition of this really beautiful song by children and someone getting brutally murdered. Yeah. Um, it, okay, I have never had carolers come up. Me At either. some point, Jess tips the mother. Is that a yeah. practice? Do people- I have no idea. I have two examples of Christmas carolers in my brain. This example from Black Christmas and the Christmas carols from the Adams family. <laughs> the Adams family didn't didn't tip them, did not tip them. So I don't know. No. <laughs> uh, this is when one of the other women who's in charge of the group like runs up to the mom who's on the porch and was like, "Yo, we need to get them out of here. Um, <laughs> don't say anything. Just get the kids to car. Just get the kids to car." She doesn't like tell the woman what's going on, but she lets. Jess know they found a dead young girl in the park and just like yeah already heard girl it's wild <laughs> y'all should probably go home <laughs> yeah that right that's what my initial thought was when this happened I was like who's letting these kids just carol when all this is going on well and it's like the timing doesn't matter it's a movie relax but like hypothetically yeah, Barb's been in bed for like two hours how late is it like they had dinner <laughs> Barb got drunk at dinner and now they're like carolers like y'all need to go home i mean yeah right though i mean granted it gets dark early in winter but still still, no you're right barb was drunk at dinner uh what's the name of the actress who plays barb margot kidder margot kidder yeah lois lane um there's a bit of a psych out here because for me when I first watched this, I was like, oh, she's going to be the star. So when Barb dies, I was like, whoa, they took out the star. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm sure Margot Kidder really appreciates that. I hope she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's a beautiful human. After Bar- or after Jess heads back into the house, she, re- she receives another phone call that's absolutely terrifying. In this phone call, while they're being tapped, the caller repeats a line that Jess and Peter, well, Peter said to Jess while they were arguing about the baby in the house about a wart being removed, essentially comparing the abortion to a wart being removed. And that creepy voice says this at the end of the call. And that immediately sparks something in Jess. Like she freaks out because she's like, holy shit. She's like, this is, P- is this Peter? Is Peter calling what? me right now? Lieutenant Fuller, after a bit, after like analyzing his tapes, asks Jess, like, 
what's going on and she kind of divulges that um kind of pries in my opinion i mean not even pries he really does pry and ask her what, what he is she is yeah the voice is referring to and i'm like damn bitch can i have some business on my own <laughs> um but lieutenant fuller assumes that peter is the one who's making the disturbing calls and they're like okay cool Jess kind of starts to doubt it a little bit that Peter was there because I think she said that like he was there when they got the first phone call or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, her and Phil had talked about that. So they were kind of, she wasn't too sure of Peter being the voice. Kind of put some doubt there. Phyllis is like, I'm tired. I took a pill, girl. I'm going upstairs. I'm going to bed. <laughs> this It's too much. It is too much. Um, and unfortunately, as Phyllis enters, I think she and Barb share a room. She goes in there to check on Barb, maybe. Maybe. She's immediately ambushed by the killer and is killed off screen. And I like Phil. I hated Me that. Me too. Phil's to cool. I felt really bad for Phil. Yeah, man. A lot of people here are dying for no reason. Obviously, but Jess then gets another obscene phone call. Um and the killer this time is making some terrible, terrible voices talking about something that children assume I assume Agnes and Billy did. And the nonsensical freakiness of this, I can't handle. It's just like, oh it's my god, It's so girl. upsetting. This freaky call was apparently long enough that they were able to trace this one. They were having trouble tracing all the other ones. But the phone company employee calls Sergeant Nash and instructs Jess... Uh, the call comes in from the telephone company employee, and he tells Sergeant Nash that the call is coming in from inside the house we get that trope right like yeah. at, at first there was like some confusion like no that's not that's where she is he's like no homie that's where the call is coming from as well you need to tell jess to put the phone down and get out the house immediately leave immediately um this is so fucking scary like to think about this barb hears that nash is like listen to me do as exactly as I say and leave. And she's like, okay, okay. What about Phyllis and Barb? He's like, walk out the house right now. Which kind of is a dick thing, but knowing what we know, also, I guess the smart thing would be to leave. I think if you're Jess, you don't know that anyone's dead. Like, yes. you just think you're getting these bad calls. So... I understand that she wants to go get her sisters. You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't know there's peril if she doesn't get out of the house. She doesn't know it's life or death. Well, I mean, Nash does tell her. He eventually yells yeah, at her. True. He loses yeah, his he fucking does. cool and is like, hey, get out the house now. Put the phone down. Ash, I mean, this happens after she's like, I need to get them. And she's like, he's like, get the fuck out of the house now. <laughs> Put this phone down. Go. And she starts yelling for... Phil and Barb. I mean, she's pleading for them to answer her, yeah, which is heartbreaking. Is. This is a really great scene. Like, yeah. she's pleading for her friend's answer, and I feel like... I hate this. After they didn't the second time, I'd be out. Me too. Sorry. Like, my self-preservation instinct is just too strong. Like, I would feel so bad for those girls, but, like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, Jess is different. She's a real one. She went back. Um, <laughs> she went back and... But she gets a weapon first. She's not totally... She's She doesn't 
you know, she's using some sense. She goes and gets that fire poker from the fireplace. And then she goes upstairs. Yeah. Smart move, right? Better um, than nothing. So she goes upstairs after she yelled for her two friends, <laughs> who we all know are dead. She goes up to their room, and it's locked. They're still not answering. So she, with all her might, breaks into the room, pushes the door open, and the light from the hallway opens up into the room, and we see her friends dead, posed on the bed, which obviously shocks her, and as she's on the ground, she's terrified and happens to look over and sees an eye looking at her through the crack of the door. Mama, let me tell you, that scared the shit out of me, and that is awful. I would have immediately have poked that motherfucker with that poker. Same. You guys, when I tell you the lasting effect of the single eyeball poking through the door and the wall staring at me, it's so scary. It's so scary. <laughs> Mama, that is terrifying. And it just looks scary. I was like, oh, oh. no. Oh, my God. Jess pushes the door closed on him um and she takes off running like rightfully so she goes to the door but for some reason has trouble opening it to get out so like all movie long there's been like one or two references to the door the door of the sorority house is like broken a handyman is supposed to come to fix it but has it come oh yet. you're right you're right i did miss that um <laughs> but it's convenient <laughs> god damn um but the dude's hot on her trail, so she decides to abandon going out the front door and runs all throughout the house as the killer's pursuing her. Um, she eventually locks herself in the cellar. And she hears, like, the killer go outside at this point. Like, he's furiously trying to get into the cellar, which yeah. is scary as fuck. I want to point that scary. out. Him very screaming... Very he was like a fucking monster trying to get in, in the basement and get to her. That would be the scariest part for me. Me like too. One, this man is absolutely unhinged. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's talking about fucking Agnes. Bro, you need to chill the fuck out. <laughs> At one point during the chase, the killer grabs Jess by her hair and like whips her around. And I'm like, that is why I'm a short haired bitch. You ain't grabbing under my hair. I'm getting away from no. it. <laughs> Man, that is so wild. I forgot about that. That is a great scene. It's scary as fuck. Andy Andy got scared at that scene. It's, I love, I know I've said it several times at this point, but we never really see the killer. Like, we see little parts of him. Like, we see his feet, we see his hands, but it's like he's mostly faceless and it keeps him really exciting and scary. It adds the mystery to it. It's really terrifying. Um, after we hear the killer go outside, we then see Peter's face appear in the window of the cellar, looking at Jess, who then proceeds to break the window to get to Jess. Jess is terrified. Um, so weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. She presumes Peter's a killer. I would, too, at this point. Like, I Peter's would, too. Is absolutely unhinged. So we cut to the scene, but it's to be assumed that she bludgeons Peter to death. Yeah. Um, and then we see the police arrive moments later after hearing Jessica's screams and they 
discover her, she's like barely conscious in the basement with Peter's bloody body on top of her. Um, during this part, we then get like all the cops and stuff putting Jess in bed and to discuss the murders. When we get one guy who like pops his head in um, and tells them there's not enough room at the morgue for all the bodies that we still haven't found Mrs. Mac or Claire. Poor Mr. Harrison doesn't have any closure on where his daughter's at. Like, everybody's still there, but Mr. Harrison has no closure on where his daughter's at, but I think, I mean, the writing's on the wall when you find two other dead girls in, of the yeah. sorority in there. And I think he kind of has, like, a heart attack or some kind of Yeah, some sort of weird... episode. Everybody rushes to Mr. Harrison, and they kind of rush him to the hospital, essentially, while they leave a policeman standing outside to watch. Jess has been sedated, and they leave her in the bed. I appreciate the police officer outside, but isn't this also a fucking murder scene? Bruh, number one, this is a live crime scene. Mr. Harrison shouldn't be anywhere near here. What the fuck is Mr. Harrison doing here, number one? Number two, there should be a top-to-bottom house sweep, which we'll get to in a second why that's important. Um, And there should be a cop in the room with Jess, and then there should be two cops outside the room, and there should be 15 crime scene investigators here taking fucking evidence. Like, what is happening here? Mama, I'm very confused. I'm very confused. So mad. Okay, so we pan around the house. So we pan around the house to when we get to the attic, where we notice that the killer is about to climb down as Jess sleeps. We get the creepy-ass fucking lullaby that he's singing. So we're to assume that he kills Jess. Yeah. Right? I mean, number one, the killer is on the loose. The killer was not Peter. So that's a problem. So he's definitely going to kill someone else. I don't know if he's going to kill Jess, but she's sedated in a bed and totally vulnerable. So I can't imagine why he wouldn't kill her. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a pretty dark open-ended ending, but yeah. I mean, the writing's on the wall for Jess. Yeah. It's pretty dark. Pretty dark ending. Yeah. I kind of hate it. The house telephone begins to ring. Um, And then we zoom out of the house and we see the police standing right there. But we can't really do anything if Jess is sedated when she gets murder. And then the credits um, roll as the phone rings over and over and over and over. So the phone rings. He makes a call after he ma- murders. So that tells us he did kill Jess. Oh, Because now he's making right. a call. So that's how that goes. R.I.P. Jess. That's sad. Golly. <laughs> Merry right. fucking Christmas. Jeez. Damn, that's dark, bro. Um, so speaking of dark, the studio wanted to change the ending for the American audience. Yeah. They initially wanted to have like Chris, Claire's boyfriend walk in and say something along the lines about Agnes or something and then murder Jess. Like he was the killer the entire time. Um, but I don't know if that, that didn't happen. They kept the original ending, obviously. I like this ending. Yeah, I do too. It's actually pretty good for a horror movie. Um, this whole entire movie is just really well done, in my opinion. I agree. Lots of people love this movie. I mean, it, again, like I said earlier, it established kind of the trend of the holiday horror movies as well as other horror movies like camera work. 
it established the trope that you talked about of like when a stranger calls. I mean, they did it before stranger calls, but having like a person calling on the phone, think about scream. There are Mm -hmm. lots of movies in this genre, which are absolutely terrifying. We talked a lot about the legacy and everything already about what this movie has. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about how the movie didn't really take off initially, what really led it to cult status and what really brought it into, um, the forefront again happened a few years later in 1978. Uh, so NBC ran the show. Um, however, they changed the title again to Stranger in the House, not the Tamiya song, which is a great fucking song I want to throw out. Um, this happened on January 28th, 1978. However, on January 15th, 1978, two female students at Florida State University were murdered. Um, by an assailant who broke into their sorority house where they lived. Um, Three other young women in the vicinity were attacked and assaulted. NBC received numerous pleas from locals to pull this off broadcast at the time uh, just because terrible fucking timing. Jeez. So they decided to add like another movie at the time. Again, this is in the 70s. I feel like programming was very hard. They ended up putting up something called Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze. Um, which they then later aired this movie again in that spot in May 14th, uh, same year, not a big deal. Not really. Um, but I do feel like the seventies were prime time for serial killers. And the person who perpetrated the crimes at Florida state university was actually none other than Ted Bundy. He I was thought the it might who... be Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of connection. People think that like this movie was inspired by Ted Bundy, but it is not. It's just like they don't think he was inspired by this movie or anything like that. It's just like a coincidence. You know sure. What I mean? yeah. yeah. Ted Bundy was a necrophiliac, so he wouldn't have displayed the bodies. He would have fucked them. What a fucking loser. <laughs> Disgusting pig idiot. <laughs> Um, do you want to know a fun fact I know about Black Christmas? Yeah, tell me. Uh, it's Steve Martin's favorite movie. Really? Uh, there was a long time in Hollywood when, like, every, like he would have a Christmas party and play Black Christmas. Like, it's his favorite. It's a, he loves this movie. <laughs> I don't know why I know that or how I know that. Is he related to Andrea Martin? Oh, I don't think so. No, because he's from California and she's Canadian. But I bet they knew each other. No, she's from Maine. Oh, shit. Well, he's still from California, but they still may have known each other. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they knew each other. Maybe Martin's a pretty common last name. Yeah, that's Steve Martin. He loves this movie. So do we. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Steve Martin, right in. Right in. No, just kidding. <laughs> right in review, Steve. Come on. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or embarrassing confessions please send us an email at thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. That's thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at thewaybackrecappod. If you'd like to support the show or listen to bonus content, exclusive episodes, visit our Patreon page. Our original cover art is by Laura Strobish. Uh, Remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow or subscribe to The Wayback Recap. If you enjoy yourself, please rate and review the show, but if that's too much... We totally get it. Tell a friend. Preferably a responsible friend who will rate and review the show. And join us next time. I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia. And on behalf of the Wayback Recap, take take care care of each each other, other, y'all.